0: You know, the attitude was always protect the institution, protect the institution, what's best for the institution. Um, And the student athlete side of it was they'll figure it out. You know, this is their opportunity to make money. What's shifted? Um, And I think in some ways we've helped um, uh, our partners uh, get to this space. In other ways, uh, partners have gotten there on their own because of how this has organically evolved is it's not just the student athlete can figure it out it's we need to put in place um, and and make a larger investment in programs that educate athletes on how to navigate this in a responsible way that's going to benefit them not just for the four or five years that they're on campus but is going to benefit them beyond what's up
1: everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the quarter four podcast I'm Michael Elkins, labor and employment attorney, investor, and the creator and host of this show. In this episode, we're talking about the three biggest words in sports right now, name, image, and likeness. My guest this month is Andrew Donovan, vice president of collegiate partnerships at Altius Sports Partners. Altius is leading the NIL revolution. They work directly with the most prominent universities in the country in developing comprehensive and compliant programs to equip all stakeholders to successfully navigate this brand new era in intercollegiate athletics. Altius is unique in that their work doesn't center on just what the universities can do. They're educating the athletes as well, and they're talking about a multitude of NIL-related issues dealing with things like intellectual property financial literacy, and how to leverage their brand in conjunction with the university. It's really actually interesting stuff in this truly transformational revolution in sports. In this episode, Andrew and I discuss his transition from university employment to working with this cutting-edge startup. We also talk about the NIL revolution in general, discussing issues ranging from current athlete branding and potential future issues like collective bargaining for university athletes, Fascinating for those of us in the labor and employment legal world. If you're interested in the mesh between sports, business, the NCAA, and athletes' rights, then this is definitely the episode for you. So happy new year. Welcome to 2022. Sit back and enjoy my conversation this month with Andrew Donovan. Andrew, man, how you doing? I'm doing
0: great. It's good to be with you.
1: It's good to be with you as well. Thanks for joining me.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you having me.
1: No problem. So normally what I do is I'll give a little bit of a intro as to how you and I connected and know each other. So for some context for the audience, um, you and I met through our mutual connection, I guess, Casey Schwab, who had done my show two Super Bowls ago. Now, I think. And I reached out to him, uh, saw what he's doing at um, Altius Sport. Am I saying that right? Altius? Is that right? You are. Yes. Altius sports which we're going to talk about and uh, said hey let's let's talk name image likeness and then he connected you and I and uh, that's how we're here today is that about right
0: <laughs> that that sounds right and it's funny if you talked to him a couple years ago he, he would have obviously been wearing a different hat um, very a lot uh, lots, lots changed in, in the industry from a professional to college in general and um, so bringing some of his expertise to the college game
1: boy, I mean I, I think you could say almost everything's changed. I think the only thing left I think maybe the only thing left to change is pay athlete the NCAA athletes getting paid. I think that's coming, but that's probably a conversation for a different day. Um, yeah. <laughs> so talk a little bit about um, you, you've got an interesting path. we're gonna talk about your history, but talk a little bit about what you're doing now, Altius and so give a, give the audience a little bit of context. If they're listening they, they'll probably have read. No, the bio uh, before the show, but uh, tell us what's going on, what you guys are doing.
0: Sure. So I'm in, I'm about five months into my time with Altius. Um, Personally spent the previous about dozen years on college campuses, mainly in a compliance role. Um, Spent the last six at the University of Tennessee as a senior administrator there. Um, And and my exposure to Altius was through uh, leading up the build out of the NIL programming at the University of Tennessee. In which we enlisted the assistance of Altius, so obviously got to know Casey and the team really well um, and, and obviously believed enough in what they were doing for campuses that I wanted to be part of that on a larger scale and, and work with uh, all of the schools that they're working with as we continue to grow. Um, so we we do a lot of different things with schools and it's, it's truthfully evolving um, as the space evolves too. Um, there's a lot of education with every different stakeholder imaginable, your student athletes your coaches, helping them understand foundationally, uh, what this NIL era is bringing the opportunities it provides for athletes, as well as all the responsibilities that come with that. But then obviously this is leaking its way into recruiting to no one's surprise. So helping the coaches also have some acumen to be able to articulate what it means for athletes in the recruiting process with recruits and, and with their parents. Uh, there are other elements of this, too, uh, you know, helping work through things like IP use and and policy advisement um, for campuses, um, looking at long term strategic planning. You know, you just mentioned uh, potential of paying athletes. What does that mean from an employment status? Are things mm-hmm. like workers' compensation and collective bargaining and um, revenue sharing <laughs> going to come into play here? Now, um, now you're talking so my language. Trying... <laughs> employment law, right? <laughs> so it's... It, <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and there's layers to these things, right? And, yeah. you know, we, we think right now, you know, administrators on campus think it's, it's tough right now to, to manage from state to state policy. Imagine if we talk about workers' compensation, how that oh. can differ from state to state, um, sure. and, and where that's going to come into play from a recruiting standpoint. So a lot of this is, is advisement. And, and as much as I hate the term consultancy, um, for, for campuses, Uh, to make sure that they can position themselves for success going forward within this entire new era that goes beyond NIL.
1: Yeah, I mean, NIL is such a brave new world. And it seems like we're going to be going from brave new world to brave new world to brave new world, right? I mean, I feel like we're a few steps away from athlete compensation beyond NIL. I mean, that's particularly relevant. Literally today, we just got, I guess, lucky, For lack of a better word, that we're talking right after, you know, Brian Kelly jumps to LSU and Lincoln Riley jumps to uh, USC, which I think has jump started that conversation again about these athletes. I mean, especially in Notre Dame, right? They're kind of left high and dry. How come the coaches are jumping for more millions and athletes can get in the transfer portal, but there's no more, there's no money difference? Like that doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. So it, it feels like, Yeah, Brave New World today, and then probably a Brave New World coming up. Um, What I think is interesting is we hear so much about the athlete side of NIL, and you're on the university side. So talk a little bit about, I mean, how did you guys come up with this? How did you end up at Altius? Because you were at universities your entire career, which I also want to talk about. Uh, What was it that had you jump on the NIL train, sort of going from university to university?
0: Sure. So there were some there were some personal considerations, um, obviously, in that decision, as well as professional. Um, From a personal side, it provided some flexibility in terms of where we were living. You know, my wife and I um, were looking for change in that regard and wanted some flexibility with our family and extended family. And uh, the fact that as a company, Altius is remote, provided provided some of that opportunity. And, And selfishly, it provided me a pretty cool opportunity too to travel a good bit and be on different campuses. Um, and get some perspective on how different campuses are operating, which has been uh, a really interesting uh, element of of my initial time with Altius. Uh, But the other piece of this was, as I worked with Altius from the school side, um, it became very clear to me that the college athletics that that I knew from the time I was in school at the University of Miami 15 years ago um, to now having worked at LSU and Marshall and and Tennessee, um, which all have you know, different philosophical approaches, different priorities, and, and how they work with their athletes and, and what their, uh, uh, their mentality is towards winning um, and, and developing student-athletes, I started thinking about, this is going to look a little bit different, and can I have an impact from a different lens uh, on the outside? Um, the other piece of it being, if I want to continue to advance selfishly, professionally, um, how can I enhance my business acumen? Um, I, I came through the compliance lens. Um, so, you know, I know enough of uh, a little bit about everything enough to be dangerous in different areas. Right. right. Um, but I, I couldn't say that I was an expert in the space of licensing. Um, you know, my exposure to the media relations side of things, marketing, it, it was somewhat limited beyond the interactions from a compliance perspective. And so I saw the transition to Altius um, to be one that would give me more perspective on the business side. Um, and if I ever wanted to go back to campus, uh, my belief was that I'd be a much more attractive candidate because I I would have a different acumen than I otherwise had when I was solely on campus.
1: So you were, uh, if I'm right, journalism, political science at University of Miami, right? How did you end yep. up, uh, Marshall? I think was your graduate assistant. How did How did that happen? Let's back up a little bit and get a little bit more about sure. how you made that jump which I think is interesting. I'm just curious. Did you always want to be on campuses? Is that, you know, how did that come about?
0: That's a great question. So, you know, I grew up in a newsroom. Um, My mom was uh, an editor and then a publisher uh, of newspapers. I grew up in Utica, New York, and and my mom was the publisher of the newspaper there. So my summers throughout high school and in college, um, I would intern, um, not just in the newsroom, but in advertising, right? Taking in calls for happy ads for birthdays and weddings, things like that. Um, and, and I had the chance to, to do the beat on some American Legion baseball, um, okay. and, and some different local sports. And, and so I thought that was going to be the route I, I was going to take. I, I was always a stats guy, um, loved going to the minor league, uh, whether hockey or baseball growing up. Um, and so that was the route I took in college and I was blessed to have some great opportunities at the university of Miami, um, to intern with the Miami Herald. I did stringer work with them on high school sports, everything from water polo to football, the basketball, you name it. Um, and I thought that was the route I was going to go down. In my senior year at Miami, uh, I, uh, I was having a conversation with my mom about the change in the industry. This is about 2008, 2009. Um, you know, everything's going digital. You know, print media is going out. Um, and for the first time in my life, my mom, who's always been my biggest supporter relative to following my dreams, said, you know, if you're interested in the sports thing and, and you're I was taking some electives on athletics administration at the time, and you think you might want to be on the inside, now might be the time to sort of test the waters there because I, I don't know, honestly, what the media industry is going to look like going forward. Um, and so I said, okay, I'll, I'll kind of continue down this path. Well, in this business, we all know it's about relationships. The electives I was taking happened to be taught by an adjunct uh, faculty member who was the Senior Associate Athletics Director for Compliance at the University of Miami. And so I got talking to him, his name is David Reed, Um, He's now at the University of Kansas. Uh, I got talking to him after a class, um, and he mentioned, hey, we could use some help in the athletics department. Um, If you want to do some hourly work, um, I'm more than happy to to give you that exposure. Started doing that spring of my senior year. uh, Found out that he had come from Marshall University, that there was a graduate assistant opening in the compliance office at Marshall. Um, And so my mentality was, look, I, I can go to Marshall, get my graduate degree, find out if I really like what it's like on the inside, as opposed to covering it from the outside. Um, worst case scenario, um, I decide it's not for me and I can go back to writing go back to the journalism route. I went up to Marshall, uh, got my degree done in a year and I decided I really like it on the inside. I like the environment of a college campus and and intercollegiate athletics. And so that's how I kind of shifted from the journalism route to athletics administration. But I, I will say, Michael, I, I think my background in journalism, um, plays a big role in having helped me be successful in compliance and be successful in my role now because of the communication skills, the ability to think critically, ask questions, um, and and try to find solutions, I think plays a big role in in my ability to make that transition.
1: Just a curiosity. I saw you went Marshall to LSU. Um, big difference, (laughs) right? What I'm just curious, what, what is the, I mean this is a terrible question I'm going to ask it anyway because I frankly can't think of a better way to ask it. What's the difference compliance at a, at a school like Marshall to compliance at LSU? And I'm not I'm not looking for like oh LSU they'll do what that's not what I mean. I it's just got to be a different attitude, different everything. I would imagine.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> it was eye-opening and it was eye-opening not only and obviously going from Upstate New York, to Miami, Florida, to Huntington, West Virginia, culture shock a little bit, right? Well, right. additional culture shock when you to, go down to the to Bayou and Baton Rouge. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this, this Northeaster, this damn Yankee going, yeah. going down south. Um, so th- that in and of itself was an adjustment. But w- what I think the biggest difference was um, and remains today is, is the reach, the power of the brand, uh, the fan and media interest. Um, and and this is not to say that people don't care about Marshall. They do. Marshall is a big deal, not just in Huntington, but in the state of West Virginia. But, you know, when when something goes wrong at a school like LSU or even a Tennessee, the level of interest and coverage extends beyond that local media into a regional and national story. And, And so that was really the biggest difference was, you know, understanding that, hey, you need to be really buttoned up, you need to make sure your relationships are such that trust is built. Um, because if, if things go wrong, um, there's gonna be a lot of interest in covering that. Um, and I think that is is really the biggest difference the, the issues, so to speak, from a compliance perspective, um, from a monitoring and an education, they're similar, right? It's just the stakes are a little bit higher because of the attention paid.
1: Yeah, that, that seems to make sense. I think in the SEC, it's just a different world, right. When it comes to athletics in general, and certainly with football um, fast forwarding to name image and likeness, right. I, I guess I have this impression and I, I don't know if a lot of people share it. I'm going to guess that they do. That's anecdotal based upon people I've talked to that inside the world of the NCAA, right. And I know you, the schools aren't the NCAA, but they are right. They're governed that in the walls of the schools, it's very much was culturally look this is the way we've done it and this is the way we're always going to do it right they don't get pay- athletes don't get paid and then name image likeness just sort of hits us one day i mean it was coming i think the schools knew that there were lots of laws florida california but then you know there's litigation united states supreme court and everything changes literally in a day have you encountered or maybe that's what you guys do or maybe you could explain i guess this is a bad question again but i'm going to ask it anyway have you encountered like having to deal with sort of like the cu- shifting culture, shifting thought process in terms of the world we are in now? Like, Hey, this is the world now, guys, you're going to have to adjust one. There's, there's no
0: getting around it.
1: Have you encountered any of that or seen that, or is that part of what you guys are doing?
0: Yeah, the, the answer is an explicit yes. Um, and I'll take it a step further and say, I, I'm probably even part of that cultural change and, and understanding and adjustment. Um, you know, a year ago at this time, I'm the Senior Associate Athletics Director for Regulatory Affairs at the University of Tennessee. Um, as a matter of fact, a few days into our relationship with Altius. Um, and, and so I'm learning presently a year ago and then in the following months, um, some of the considerations that need to be made going into the nil era that i think a lot of folks on campus had the attitude and it probably still exists at some places of this is the athletes thing this is now giving them that right of publicity and they can figure it out um and and that was the attitude in a lot of cases right the concern mm-hmm. and I, I mean i put myself back in that compliance role um working with our national association to provide feedback on the ncaa proposal related to nio working with our government relations folks. Uh, on language related to the state law that, that may pass, and, and, and even the federal solutions at some level. Um, you know, the attitude was always protect the institution, protect the institution, what's best for the institution, um, and the student-athlete side of it was they'll figure it out. They, you know, this is their opportunity to make money. What's shifted, um, and I think in some ways we've helped um, uh, our partners uh, get to this space in other ways, uh, partners have gotten there on their own, because of how this has organically evolved, is it, it's not just the student athlete can figure it out. It's we need to put in place um, and, and make a larger investment in programs that educate athletes on how to navigate this in a responsible way that's going to benefit them not just for the four or five years that they're on campus, but is going to benefit them beyond. Uh, because so much of this, yeah, it's about the opportunity to make money. Um, while they're they're a student athlete and to utilize their brand power as well as uh, their association with the institution's brand uh, to profit. But it's also just an extension of the student athlete development programming that has existed on campuses for decades. It's an opportunity to teach student athletes how to be a professional, how to approach opportunities, how to pitch themselves, how to follow up, how to say thank you and create a long-term opportunity rather than a one-off. And, and so that's differed from school to school. Um, you you certainly have some fear, right? Everybody, uh, when it comes to change, there's different levels of fear of this is different. This is new. This is a uh, foreign territory that w- we're, we don't know if we want to go down this road. But as you said a little while ago, the the train's not slowing down. And so I think it's incumbent upon institutions to be prepared for that. And that's what we're trying to help them be prepared for.
1: So there's a lot to unpack there. I'm gonna try to go a little bit step by step because you said some interesting things that really struck me. First is, you know, at least the Florida law, right? And I think this got lost in the shuffle. I don't know if it got lost, it wasn't really reported too much in the media, but when I read the law, and I haven't read every state's law, I presume though they all have similar provisions, right? You said something about the university saying this is a student athlete athlete thing, they can go make money. So from a legal perspective, most of these laws have requirements for the universities. They have to do a number of different things, right? Is that something where you guys are assisting in terms of just saying, putting aside the programs part where you're just saying to them, look, guys, the, the train's left the station, but it, if you think it's just a student athlete thing, it, it's not. I mean, it is a university thing. There's a lot of, at least in Florida, that universities have a number of requirements. That's part one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, when you ask that question, I think about it in two ways. I think one, yes, there are state laws um, that have legislative requirements, be it a a certain number of hours on a on a listed number of topics, um, in which an athlete has to be educated, say, in their first year and in their third year, or before the end of their first semester. It varies from state to state, as you know. Um, and so the, there's, I think, some places an attitude of, hey, we got to check the box to do this education. But by and large, I think uh, most schools and, and administrators have realized that it goes beyond the simple uh, minimum requirement, and and it's it's more than just saying let's give them a half an hour seminar on on uh, financial aid and taxes. It's about how can we help them understand resources that are available to them, not just on this campus but beyond, so that they can get done what needs to get done in that space. Um, and so I've seen schools um, really understand that and go beyond. The other piece I would mention from a it's a student athlete thing only is the way we really structure our strategy and our education is it, it starts sort of at the administrative level. So you have your administration, say your general counsel, maybe even your licensing department, and then you're working your way down, your your coaches, your support staff, and then down to your student athlete. And it is so important to have alignment within your institutional philosophy, your educational programming, Every single person in your building on your campus is understanding of how you're going to approach different elements of this so that student athletes aren't being told different things. It's important that not just the senior administration, but the coach and the director of operations and the graduate manager and the student athlete all understand what the institution's policy is relative to IP and the procedure for which an athlete to potentially request to use that. And so a lot of what we're doing is trying to create that alignment through not only education with each of those stakeholders, but also creating a strategic plan of, all right, we're going to address this in a really thoughtful way so that over the next several months, everybody does understand where we're coming from and how we're going to operate in this space.
1: You hear that in the background, I have a puppy and um, she likes to, I have some people working outside my house. So for everybody on the pod, if you hear my puppy screaming, she's screaming it the contractors working on the exterior of my house, she likes to greet them every single time they walk by the door 20 she to 30 times a day. Answer? She loves your answer. That's, no, but she, that, that's her <laughs> way of saying hello to the world. Um, so, you know, it, it's really interesting because there's like some real strict compliance stuff in the laws, right? Like I think, you know, the athlete has to have the ability to take the contract, whatever contract they have to to somebody at the university, right? Who has to approve it and review it or whatever it is. But you guys are obviously way beyond that, which I think is fascinating. So it sounds like what you guys are doing is creating like, or helping to create total buy-in in a lot, in a much broader perspective, right? To, and, and maybe this is wrong, but I'm assuming you're helping universities align with the student athletes so that everybody can maximize this new world. Is that sort of a fair way to really dumb it down?
0: Yes. That is a very fair way. And, and one of the biggest things, and um, I experienced this firsthand while I was on the other side of the equation, while I was still an administrator at Tennessee, um, our CEO, my, my boss now, Casey Schwab, the CEO at Altius um, came in to do uh, some education with the football team at Tennessee. And I was struck by his positivity in the messaging of what he, he shared with the athletes relative to the opportunities that exist with them. Now he was real. He, He talked about all the responsibilities from from your brand management to financial implications, all of those things that you might imagine who you're associating with. But the positivity struck me. And the reason it struck me is because here I am at that time um, as a compliance professional at Tennessee, in my mind is not squarely, but in a lot of ways, focused on how do we articulate to the athletes the things that are going to get them in trouble? And to stay away and here are your guard, your guardrails, right? Cause, cause yeah. I'm thinking protect the Don't institution, do. you know, protect right. the eligibility. Yeah. And the reality is if you're going to be successful as an institution, when it comes to not only maximizing opportunities for everybody involved, but truly having your student athletes understand and buy into the fact that you want them to be successful and you're supporting them, you have to be positive. And so you, you have to find a way to, to show to, to tell, but obviously show your student athletes, we're here for you. We can't do everything, right? There, there, there's a reason there are intellectual property laws and our brand has a value. And so we have to be protective of that brand, but we're going to work with you. And we're going to try to find ways to maximize your opportunities and to do this in a way that it's going to benefit everyone.
1: And, and that actually is the piggyback to what I was just thinking. and going to ask you about, which is the idea of this tension, right? Between the student athlete and the institution, which I think has sort of existed in college athletics forever, though it's dramatically different now. Um, I think student athletes, again, this is anecdotal, but for, you know, decades and decades before this felt like, God, everybody's making a lot of money off of our back and now we can make money. And I'm curious, are you, it sounds like what you guys are doing is sort of breaking down that barrier of tension between the institution and the student athlete and sort of helping the institution understand like this is actually a good thing and you should be going into this supporting the athletes. I would imagine, you know, look, good NIL deals help promote the brand of whatever university that athletes at. And on the flip to the athletes saying, look, this is a good thing. There's some pitfalls though. So make, let's, we're gonna help you avoid that. And you have to sort of understand how to maximize it as well. And if you guys can maximize it together, that's even better. Is that, is that something that's going on? Are you seeing that?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I have to give credit to our partners and and most institutions out there. They they are taking a positive approach to this. Um, I think it took a little while in some ways because everything got dumped on on everyone within the space at the end of June going into July, and so it's you know it was chaos to to figure out how you're going to approach this. But folks are settling in and they're understanding that the way it looks right now is different than it looked on July one, and is different than than it's going to look on July one twenty two. So you you better have some positioning to where you can pivot and and continue to support. And Michael, one example, I will give you um, from a standpoint of really investing in the student athletes, understanding within the space, like they have so many different things coming at them, right? They have their academic obligations. They have their athletics obligations. They're a college student. They're going to want to have a social life. We we like to talk to the athletes about, Hey, if you're going to get in the space of NIL and that's completely up to you, whether you want to do that or not, you got to figure out a way that this fits in without sacrificing from, from each of those other elements. You can't have your academic suffer because then you're not even going to be able to get on the field uh, for your athletics performance. And you certainly want to continue to have a social life. And so we talk about things like intellectual property. It's really important for the athletes to understand what the laws are surrounding copyright and trademark and their own right of publicity and how those things differ as it relates to somebody compensating them for their NIL or compensating the institution, let's say, for use of their logos, and, and once you educate the athletes on that and, and you bring it down to a level where it is very clear to understand, we do something called ID the IP. We'll we'll put an image up um, that has various uh, types of intellectual property from individuals' names, their features, um, you know, even graphics, photos, copyright. Um, uh, logos of different brands and we'll have them shout out, um, different instances of IP. And then we'll talk through who has ownership of those things and, and the interplay. And it helps the athlete better understand and accept the fact that not only is this a good opportunity for me individually, but if I'm, if I'm smart about this, I can use my platform in association with the brand of my institution to, to make it better for myself as well.
1: Yeah. And are you guys educating beyond the IP stuff, too, like talking about just brand management in general for the, the athletes, yeah. student athletes and sort of discussing those types of concepts with them?
0: Absolutely. We're, we're talking about, uh, you know, building your board. Who are you surrounding yourself with and what does that say about you as an individual and, and you in some ways as a commodity as it relates to your NIO? Um, we're talking about opportunities to personally brand within the space of social media, but beyond too, you know, what is your etiquette when you're having an in-person interaction all the way down to an email exchange with, with a professional. Um, We talk about a lot about brand alignment, look at professional athletes and, you know, what's the first word that comes to mind when you see an image of this athlete. Okay. And now let's look at what they're doing in the NIL space. Does this align with what you think about them and how much of what they're doing in the NIL space is dictating what you think about them. And so we're, we're doing everything in those areas as, as well as uh, some financial guidance uh, for our athletes.
1: One of the things I thought about, two things. One was the idea that because this is so new and it's kind of a wild, wild west, I don't know if it's as much of the wild, wild west as people say, but it's definitely new. You, there was always a concern in my head about athletes just running out and signing any deal they could get their hands on because, oh my God, I I can make money off my image. It sounds like you're talking to them about that, but I'd kind of like you to maybe expand on that a little. And then sort of a corollary to that, the idea that um, sort of some social media practices, right? Because a lot of what these athletes are doing is it's going to be brand stuff on TikTok, Instagram, Snap, right? all of that. And I'm a huge fan of social media. I use it tremendously in my law practice, but it's got a lot of pitfalls and these athletes are able to do things with it now they weren't able to do a year ago. So are you, are you talking with them and finding issues there social media practices and the idea of, listen, you don't have to take every deal that comes your way. You got, maybe you want to be selective depending curious if you had thoughts on that, yeah, if you're seeing that.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the former is is really part of our initial interaction when we get in front of student athletes and it's, it's trying to get them to think about this in the long term. Um, you know, talking about things like brand alignment, that the, the people that you work with are going to say about you as an individual and about you as a brand. Um, and so it's everything from let's make sure that that company you're partnering with, whether it be a paid opportunity or you're just getting some swag in exchange for putting something on social media, their values uh, are representative of what you want your values to be. Did you do any research on, on that entity? Have you, Have you looked into who's associated with them? Um, and so we do talk about that. And then we also talk about um, the short and long-term considerations. It, it obviously is going to vary from athlete to athlete, from individual to individual. Um, but you think about a freshman and an opportunity that may come to a freshman athlete um, who has not done anything at their institution yet could look very different two years from now, depending on performance. And obviously that can go either way. Um, sure. But we like to talk to the athletes about hey, really give some thought to the opportunity that's ahead of you right now, let's say as a freshman, and how that opportunity may look different two years from now if you're an all-conference performer, right? You're, you're going to gain social media following. You're going to gain notoriety. Um, people are going to have a better awareness of who you are. But it goes beyond that because it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm going to ignore you now. I'm going to ghost you and then hope in two years um, that you come back to me. It's teaching them the skills to say no. And to say no in a way where the opportunity may still exist in the future. And that's such an important piece of this. From a social media perspective, um, we like to make sure that first and foremost, the athletes understand that your association with your institution is important and it can help you. So if I go to your social media page and I can't tell through your bio or through your avatar, your image, that you're a student athlete at X institution, why not? Right, that right. that should be part of of how you're marketing yourself. So, sure. making sure that th- their bio is is understandable, that they're easy to find, and it's easy to deline- delineate who they are. Um, so that being an important piece of this, and then obviously the old tried and true, do you know what you tweeted ten years ago? Like <laughs> uh, going back <laughs> and, and making sure yeah. um, that that their their page is clean of, of issues. Um,
1: yeah,
0: uh, and then the one other thing I would tell you is that. We have talked to athletes about some strategies of, hey, look, you may be at an institution where you're restricted in IP use. And so you have an opportunity with a local sponsor um, in which you're going to put up a social post where you're in an image with that sponsor's product, uh, but you can't use school marks. Hey, it is what it is, right? The school right. might have a, an exclusive partnership with a competitor. How sure. can you, though, creatively now within, say, your Instagram page, uh, make sure that the photos that surround that one are showing that you're a student athlete at X institution. You're still following the rules, but you're being savvy about how you're showing the consumer and the people following you, your association with both entities, the brand and the institution, while doing it within the confines of the policy.
1: Interesting. And and I, it kind of didn't occur to me that different schools are going to have different rules with respect to their marks, which is a whole new issue in name image likeness that I hadn't even thought of until this conversation. And I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you've already been really generous, but I I did want to get your thoughts on, on this. It it just hit me right now as we were talking about brand management, right. And managing image early teaching student athletes now about how to say no, but maybe say no in a way that the door is still open down the road because things might look different for that athlete. Those are all real, um, real business skills, right? Real um, I think modern skills. I'm curious your thoughts on what do you think the trickle-down effect is going to be for this long term as these student athletes, the the top one percent, right, transition to professional sports? Because I think in the last five to ten years, I know that's a big span, but We've seen this evolution of the athlete becoming so much more than a performer on the field, right? They're investing. It's a huge thing. I think there's a tech conference out of San Francisco now for just athletes who want to be entrepreneurs in the tech space. I think uh, Steph Curry's a big part of that, Paul Rabel, those guys.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but now I think that they were not discovering that until they became pros. Now it's being taught, freshman, sophomore. Curious what you think the trickle down might be on that going forward. I know I'm kind of asking you to look in the crystal ball, but I just think it's an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah. You know, when you first started the question, my mind immediately went to what we're seeing in the professional athlete space in the last several years in the terms of investment. And my mind goes to a guy like Kevin Durant, you know, right. he seems to have sure. his toe dipped into every different area. Yeah. Um, so I think a couple of things are going to happen. I, I think you're going to see um, high school athletes, Come to the college level, more prepared and more informed. It just seems like an inevitability to me. Um, you know, they're, they're at some point, I think the state laws are going to follow suit, maybe not in a uniform manner, but state by state. We've already seen a few states, be it California, New York, and New Jersey, provide opportunity to their athlete in the nil space. Um, and they're going to come to college more prepared and more informed. And I think that's a good thing because it's going to help young people uh, be prepared for the business world. Now, are they getting the proper training and and Intel of all of the things we just talked about to take on those opportunities and meet them with the responsibilities that come and be prepared. Um, I also think that you're going to see a a student athlete body um, that whether it's professional sports or just a a job in general, hopefully will be more prepared for the workforce And, and they'll both be more prepared Uh, as it relates to handling their business. Um, I I feel comfortable saying this, having spent 12 years on a college campus. Um, And and as a matter of fact, as an anecdote to this, my first year down at LSU, um, I, I lived with a friend who was a swimmer at Marshall. And one of the things that she told me that was her biggest struggle from her time graduating at Marshall to getting into the workforce was not having somebody to tell her where to be, when to be there and what to do. And so I think some of these skills that we're talking about are going to help the athletes be more prepared for that transition to the workforce because while we can arm them, we can train them, we can give them insights, at the end of the day, they're going to have to take the initiative if they want to be successful. It's no different than shooting free throws. You're going to be as good in the game at shooting free throws as how much time you put it in, in the gym. You're going to be as good at NIL and has the opportunities as you put into your brand. Um, and into your outreach in that regard. And so I think student athletes are going to take on more responsibility and therefore be more prepared for the real world, if you will.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a great thing for student athletes. I think it's a great thing for the institutions as well. I, I'm not surprised it took that long for this long for us to get here, but I think going forward now, we're going to see a, a rapid, rapid shift uh, one last question. I'll, I'll get you out of here. Cause I definitely want to obviously be respectful of your time and it's kind of the big one, right? Any prediction on whether you think we'll see a change in terms of, uh, compensation directly for performance? Maybe you don't want to go there Great and that's question. fine too.
0: <laughs> no, no. Uh, so we've spent a lot of time talking about that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, <laughs> I'll give you a long-winded answer to this in some ways because I think it's important for the listeners to understand the background of our company. Um, yes. you know, Casey Schwab, our CEO and founding partner, um, in his previous life, he worked at Fox Sports and NFL Network doing talent deals for broadcasters. Um, and then most recently, he was the vice president for business and legal affairs at the NFL Players Association. So he's on the for-profit right. side. You know, he dealt with the CBA and oversimplifying his role, he he dealt with all these NFL NIL issues, I should say. Um, for professional athletes in the NFL. And so his mindset in coming to this space was, this is new territory that college administrators, um, institutions aren't prepared to deal with. And so we can help them navigate that. Well, he obviously in that role dealt with many different things beyond just NIL. And so we've, we've armed ourselves with a group of advisors and partners that have experience in all those different areas, you know, be it entertainment law, um, you know, be it, uh, the professional leagues, um, law in general, um, media, we, we have a founding partner who is part of the, the development of MLB network. And so we think we are uniquely positioned to help schools with that transition. So with that preamble, what I would tell you is we've spent a lot of time talking about this and we do think it's going to go in the direction uh, of more rights for athletes. It's not going to be peeled back. And, And you've seen that, through these new contracts with the, with the coaches in football. Um, and, and I just read last night, Senator Blumenthal talking about how he's concerned in that regard. Um, and so whether they're full-blown employees um, with all of the rights of a traditional employee from collective bargaining to workers' compensation, and then they can share in the media revenues, time will tell. But I think it is, is important that schools start thinking about that potential eventuality and prepare themselves uh, to to navigate that. And and obviously, we've seen it didn't take long for recruiting to get in the NIL space. You better get prepared because recruiting is going to rear its head in all of those spaces as well.
1: Yeah, you know, we didn't even touch on recruiting. I think just to mention it, I mean, that's a huge part now. I would imagine universities are using their brand with NIL as a recruitment tool. Like, hey, look, you don't want to go to. I'm going to make up a school because I don't want to insult some school, but, you know, Southwest, wherever state, because you think you're going to start. You want to come to Alabama because you you can do whatever, you know, same kind of concepts. I think it's going to take litigation to get to the pay for play state. But I think Judge Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh of the U.S. Supreme Court, maybe not maybe, I think laid a roadmap out for whoever wants to take up that challenge. And you bring up collective bargaining and employees. And that's obviously being a labor lawyer and an employment lawyer I, that's always spins in my head is if it goes if it comes to that if someone brings that claim and is successful you know the bargaining unit of the NCAA athlete it's it would have massive power massive amount of power but d- different podcast different day um <laughs> Thanks a bunch for uh, for doing this, man. I really, really do appreciate it. Anything you want to add before we uh, before we sign off here?
0: I I really appreciate you having me. I I think this is um, it's a pretty wild time in the industry, but it's an exciting time, you know, And and I think similar to what we talked about of the positivity in which schools approach NIL with their athletes. I think it's it's probably smart for us to approach all of these other changes in a positive way too. Look, yeah. money is going to be coming out of certain people's pockets in one way or another and, and going into another. Um, but if we want the best for the industry long-term, we need to understand that the change is coming and, and address it in a thoughtful way. But I really appreciate you having me. I've enjoyed it.
1: That's a, that's a great thought. I appreciate you doing it and taking the time. Uh, have a great day. Thanks, Michael. I want to thank Andrew for taking the time out of his schedule to do the show. I'm, I'm always super appreciative um, for all of, all of my guests because as everybody here knows, this is not um, a national show. And so people that are doing this show are really doing it as a favor to me. And I'm so appreciative because time is obviously the most important thing we have. So, Welcome to 2022, everyone. As you know, we had a slower 2021, which is not a bad thing. I guess that means that my law practice is thriving. Uh, But we were going to have more guests in 2022, and we've got a lot of exciting things happening. So make sure you guys check out Altius on LinkedIn and Twitter. Lots of great stuff happening in name, image, and likeness, and they're leading the way. Definitely check out our past episodes and hit that subscribe button. If you really like the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And we'll be back with some more guests this year. Got some great stuff coming in the sports and business world. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great start to your year. And we'll talk to everybody really soon. Thanks.